Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to this Wednesday, January 20th edition of Real Talk. I'm Ryan Jesperson. Not just any Wednesday, not your average Wednesday. The eyes of the world, of course, on Washington, D.C. today as the United States prepares to witness uh, the official transition of power, the transfer of power as uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, President-elect Joe Biden will take the oath of office uh, in just a couple of hours. And of course, uh, Biden will become the 46th president of the United States. Kamala Harris will become uh, the first woman, uh, the first woman of color to serve the office of the vice president of the United States. It's certainly a monumental day. And of course, we're keeping an eye on it here this morning. Uh, The president elect has just arrived at the U.S. Capitol. We expect that the uh, ceremony will get underway around uh, 10 o'clock, 1030 our time. It's uh, it's kind of a uh, one of those things that happens when it happens. But traditionally, the oath is taken right around noon Eastern, which would be 10 o'clock Mountain Time. Of course, in just a second, we're going to talk to Dr. Ted Widmer. Very much uh, looking forward to his interpretation of, of the significance of today. If you read the Washington Post, you've likely read his piece uh, that was just published on Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it's a great piece. It says Lincoln came to the presidency at a treacherous time. Uh, his inauguration can give us hope. Uh, that story penned, uh, that editorial by our leadoff guest this morning. We're also going to check in with Michaela McQuaid out of Eurasia Group. She's going to join us from Washington, D.C. this morning. We're going to take a look at some of the early executive actions that will be taken uh, by uh, President Biden once he's taken that oath of office. They're ex- expecting uh, the New York Times reporting this morning 17 different uh, executive actions on day one. That does include, uh, it's anticipated, it's expected killing the Keystone XL pipeline. And so we'll talk to Michaela about that. Uh, she does energy advocacy work uh, in uh, the American capital, of course, as mentioned. We're also going to touch on some of the stories that are making news uh, in our neck of the woods, including a massive storm that tore through the province of Alberta. Uh, Canada's uh, certainly uh, how many people knew about snow squalls before this, but some of Canada's wild weather was on display last night. We're going to show you some photos, some of them submitted to us, some of them posted to social media, and we're going to talk to a storm chaser about snow squalls. I'm very much looking forward to that conversation with Nevin Demiliano. And as promised today, we recognize that that this isn't the story leading the headlines today. And well, that's kind of the point. We're going to talk to you about the presidential inauguration. We're going to talk to you about energy and pipelines and all that kind of stuff. But we're also going to introduce you to three individuals today with remarkable stories. Uh, Two of them are brothers. Uh, The other is a personal friend of mine. And uh, two of the individuals that are going to join us, Jonathan Ferguson and Christian Zip, have been recipients uh, of organ transplants in the past while both of them uh, Jonathan Ferguson and Christian Zip offer remarkable survival stories and we're going to get into those today it's uh, they're incredibly inspirational stories both of them as mentioned uh, cheating death literally and we're going to get into that story plus other news of the day as it breaks we're going to talk about Canada's vaccine shortage we're going to hit that a little harder tomorrow also want to let you know tomorrow to circle your calendar we're going to be talking uh, to Mark Warner who's an international trade lawyer practices out of Toronto and New York City and he's going to give us a sense of what he believes the economic implications of this change in administration this transfer of power in the Oval Office what the economic implications will be 
for Canadians. Of course, we're all looking for that angle. We're all looking to seek clarity as best we can on what this new presidency will mean for Canadians. Of course, these conversations each and every day on Real Talk are presented by our title sponsor, Bitcoin Well. As you head into 2021 and, well, you sort of reevaluate everything, I think. Isn't that the exercise that 2020 prompted? Are you taking a look at your investments? Are you taking a look at global financial structure? Are you starting to pay more attention? Everybody talking about crypto. If you want to make sense of it, and then ultimately, if you want to buy or sell Bitcoin at a reputable source that, well, that makes it easy and that's based out of Edmonton, Alberta, why not check out Bitcoin well? Just go to the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We promise that our show will not be as choppy as our opener. We're working on it. We're working on it. Looking forward to our first conversation uh, today. This is uh, one. This individual was right at the top of our list when we were putting asks out for coverage on Inauguration Day. His piece in The Washington Post published on Monday. Lincoln came to the presidency at a treacherous time too. his inauguration can give us hope. Uh, Ted Widmer was a speechwriter in the Clinton White House, a senior advisor on a number of different files. He's a historian, a writer. His latest book is Lincoln on the Verge, 13 Days to Washington. Uh, Dr. Widmer, thank you so much for joining us here and, and welcome to Real Talk. Hey Ryan, great to meet you. Happy, happy to be here. Why? I mean, first of all, we're gonna we're gonna take our conversation back to 1861. You have a remarkable way with words, which is is not surprising for a former White House speechwriter and a historian. But but why don't we start off by asking for your observations today? I mean, as mentioned, the eyes of the world are glued to D.C. today. Inauguration Day is significant to many many people outside of the geographical boundaries of the United States. How about for you on American soil? We're feeling a lot of happiness that our our system works. There was a once-in-a-century assault on American democracy by Americans uh, two weeks ago, and we got through that, and the system continues to work. Uh, Today, we've had a lot of normal headlines. We We had a president writing a note to another president. That's good. We want normality again. We had a a normal departure from the White House, and we're having a normal uh, church ceremony followed by an inaugural address, and it's all getting back to normal. And that's what we want for our neighbors in Canada, and it's what we really want for ourselves. We want to get back to being a country people look up to again. Ted, when it when it comes to the stability uh, th- that you think that this will restore, I've, I've seen some commentators say this is, you know, this this transfer of power today restores stability and maybe even sanity at the White House. Uh, how significant is that with regards to, I mean, you know, the work that you've seen done in the Oval Office, this the kind of thing that Canadians are going to pay attention to, which is international relations, diplomacy, trade policy, economic activity. I mean, you know, for, for the last four years, you know, I, I think back to renegotiating NAFTA, for example, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. I mean, you, you talk to some of these diplomats, these elected officials from other countries, and, and they would acknowledge that dealing with the Trump administration was unlike dealing with any other political leader they'd ever encountered. Yeah, well, 
That's a lot to unpack, but I, I you know, want to begin by saying how much I personally love Canada and Canadians. I've spent a lot of summers in Nova Scotia, which isn't so far from where I live. And, you know, it's just a great country. And I, I would say we're each lucky to be neighbors with the other. I, I, I'm sure there are some days Canadians aren't loving Americans as neighbors, but for the most part of our history, we've had a lot of peace and prosperity and shared values. And that last point, I think we all want to get back to the values, democracy and human rights. Canadians have consistently stood up for human rights around the world, including very far from Canada. And I'm optimistic that President Biden will again stand for those values, that we won't just um, coddle dictators around the world or, or put uh, the, the pursuit of uh, private deals to benefit special friends over the, the 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 real workings of foreign policy to benefit entire nations and peoples. So, so I think right away Canadians can expect um, predictability, transparency, and you know just a kind of decency in U.S. foreign policy the way the way people used to look at America. Ted, you uh, referenced, and I want to get into your your piece in the Washington Post in just a second. Brilliantly written, um, and, and a few things I think that that some people might not have realized about Abraham Lincoln's journey, uh, his physical journey, even to his inauguration. But you know, this one today, January twentieth, twenty twenty one, will 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 go down in history as a very unusual inauguration, a very unique inauguration. Obviously, very limited attendance. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, you referenced the the insurrection, that domestic terror attack on Capitol Hill back on uh, January 6th. The imagery is spectacular. I mean, we, we take a look at some of these flags that have that have been posted here. Uh, this tweet from Brandon Chatterton, it gives you a sense of some of the symbolism here. We saw it from President-elect Biden last night in his memorial to the the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Americans that have uh, died or, or, or fallen ill with uh, COVID-19 that have survived that uh, pandemic. Um, it's different and it's and it's been a stressful time for the United States and for the world. And it's hard to believe that it was, you know, two weeks ago that that this insurrection was was evident. How are you processing how today is is different and what sort of a different feel do you think that you and your fellow Americans will be experiencing because of that? We, we have been through a ton I mean, every country on earth has has wrestled with the virus. We had a kind of extra virus inside our country of demonization of other people, um, sometimes based on religion and skin color and sometimes just different political values. And I, I feel like that fever has broken. It's hard to explain exactly, but the failure of the assault on the Capitol has led to a desire, I, I believe, from people from a lot of different political backgrounds to, to begin to put our differences aside and to be one country again. And that that's the feeling I have talking to friends today that let's give this new president a, a chance. He's not an outsider the way Abraham Lincoln was. He's an, he's an insider. He's been in Washington for a long time. Right now, that feels like a good thing. We often like to get an outsider to come in and fix Washington. But right now, I, th I think having someone who knows the system, who has friends on the other side of the political aisle, all, all of these things are feeling healthy right now. 
Dr. Ted Widmer uh, is our guest, a historian, a writer, uh, a speechwriter in the Clinton White House. Uh, you, a remarkable piece in the Washington Post published on Monday, uh, takes us back to February of 1861. You say Lincoln came to the presidency at a treacherous time, too. Can you uh, can you humor us with with a history lesson? Can you remind us what the yeah. United States looked like around um, that time? Well, I appreciate all the nice things you're saying, Ryan. And, and this is all in a book I did in the last year called Lincoln on the Verge. It's a story of this um, really hard two week period in his life. Lincoln is so famous that I didn't want to do a biography. I wanted to focus on a small amount of time. And I, I found this train trip he took. Uh, over 13 days. And I mean, there are some of the world's most beautiful railroads are in Canada, as, as your listeners know. I hope someday to, to take that train all the way across Canada. But um, Lincoln had a pilgrimage to make in which he, he had to survive a lot of danger. There, there were people trying to kill him, especially as he got close to Washington. And he was growing a lot as a speaker and giving better and better speeches. But in, in the piece for the Post, I wanted to say that he wasn't just trying to fix our biggest problem, which was slavery. He was trying to fix a broken political culture. Washington had really become a terrible place to do politics. And I, you know, my, my point was it has also been that for the last four years. It's really toxic and that Lincoln, among other things, not only did he win the Civil War, but he issued punctual annual reports on the economy, uh, messages to Congress. He invested in education and infrastructure, and he did a lot of different kinds of governance. And I feel that Biden will will do the same kind of leadership. He's, he's someone who likes governance. Donald Trump obviously did not. He was an outsider from before he won office. And then even while in office, he didn't really like the nuts and bolts of governance. And that's, governance is not a bad thing. We need to somehow govern ourselves and not hate ourselves while while doing it. So I, I hope we get back to that. Ted, if you were writing the speech uh, for President-elect Biden today, uh, what would you be focusing on? Uh, let, let me let me really put you on the spot. What would the opening? <laughs> what's most important when you're writing a political speech? Is I mean, it builds and builds to that iconic statement, right? Uh, but you know, I, I sort of think of, of of the JFKs or the Ronald Reagans or the, those iconic moments. Um, what would you open with, and what would you focus on in the speech today? Well, in our pretty short attention span media. It's good to have a couple sound bites, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've been there too. I was someone trying to come up with a sound bite. Um, it's also a pretty rare chance to keep people's attention for longer, like seven or eight minutes. I mean, this is one of the longest speeches you will get a big audience to listen to all the way through. So it's a chance to maybe go into some deeper truths. I think the sound bite, the the short strong message will be unity. We need to get back to unity, to trusting each other again, to not attacking our our public buildings or, or people. I mean, five people died two weeks ago. Um, but 
I think there also are some subtle messages that will be good to to give out to the people. And that is, you know, one thing that's been on my mind is I don't think the two different sides bear an equal share of the blame. I think the Republican Party really has a lot of soul searching to do. There, there are many good Republicans, and I'm friends with a lot of them. But the, the sickness in our society came through that side and not equally through both sides. So I, I think somehow Joe Biden has to ask them to do some soul searching and come up with a better politics of their own so we can all work together as one nation again. Beautifully said. And and you know that your neighbors to the north are 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 cheering for exactly that. It's uh, without a doubt. I, I don't think it's up for debate. Perhaps it is. But without a doubt, in my opinion, the most important relationship that Canada has internationally is with the United States, with its neighbor for, for a hundred reasons. And yeah, uh, well, and- I would say right back at you, um, I think. We Americans take it for granted that we have a peaceful, talented people, you know, a large country and a populous country could cause us no end of headaches if they chose to, and they don't choose to. We all want to work together and invest in companies together and go peacefully back and forth across the border together. It's, you know, I've crossed that border peacefully probably at least 30 times in my life going up to Canada for summers. And we want to get back to that both because of there's no fear of disease, but also because we just like being together. And that that's great for both countries. Uh, Dr. Ted Widmer uh, earned his PhD at Harvard university, uh, a historian, a writer, a former Clinton speechwriter, author of Lincoln on the verge, 13 days to Washington. We sure appreciate you joining us on, on on this momentous occasion, the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States. Thank you for this, Ted. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, re- really a pleasure talking to you. Take care. You can follow Ted on Twitter at Ted underscore Widmer. Of course, we uh, push out the Twitter handles of all of our guests, our guests that are on Twitter anyway, so you can uh, ensure to connect with them and follow up. I encourage you to read his piece in the Washington Post again from Monday the 18th. And again, his, his book, Lincoln on the Verge. Uh, we're going to get to some of the present day realities. What did Donald Trump say in his his outgoing video address? It was released by the White House YouTube account last night. Uh, major American networks are not showing it. Uh, we're going to show you a few clips from it. I'm curious for your take on it. And of course, there is other news today. I mean, this is the lead story by a mile. The inauguration of, of President Joe Biden, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, once they take that oath of office around 12 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock mountain time um we're going to be talking in in this next hour coming up about that storm that tore through alberta we're going to get some of your takes on it uh sam have you been paying attention to the the live chat on on youtube have you been paying attention to what real talkers are getting into it sounds like some folks have uh got lucky enough to wake up this morning with a a bunch of new uh, lawn furniture uh barbecue covers in some cases trampolines that they did not own before that are now in their yard which is exciting for anybody oh yeah uh i anytime you can you can score some free furniture off of a windstorm is just fantastic <laughs> I was, uh, last night my dog was not having it with the wind ours there was a, yeah there was a garbage can blowing around the alley and she would not let up on it it was wild hey <laughs> it was wild i was i was nervous for the hundred year old elm trees around where our house is because yeah. they were dancing 
announcing. Uh, we're going to get to other news uh, coming up in just a moment. Wanted to remind you that this show is made possible because of teams like the team at Park Power. They are powering our Real Talk RJ hashtag. We're keeping an eye on that through the show today. It's always great to hear what you're enjoying, what you're seeing here on the show. Trevor Lynn chiming in said, boy, I enjoyed that talk with Ted Widmer. Thanks for that. Well, thank you, Trevor. Park Power, in addition to powering our hashtag, is, of course, keeping Albertans all set up with Internet, natural gas and electricity service. And right now they want your business and they want to recognize your loyalty to this program, the program they're proud to sponsor. So if you go to parkpower.ca, use the hash or rather the promo code 2021-REALTALK, they're going to give you 70 bucks off your first bill, whether it's commercial or residential. That's at parkpower.ca. We're also grateful for the team at Eden Landscaping. If you check them out at landscapeedmonton.ca, you'll be able to see some of the work that they do. They know that this is the time of year that you're starting to re-envision or reimagine what your indoor or outdoor space might look like. If it's outdoors, front yard, backyard, flower boxes, or a total overhaul, it's what they do. Right now, they're using Zoom and Google Earth to be able to meet with you, evaluate your property, see that fresh slate, and start to put those ideas to life. You can find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Grateful to have Eden Landscaping on board. Let's get to what President Donald Trump is saying on his way out of office. We know that that he will not attend uh, the inauguration of President Biden. We know he he and his uh, wife, First Lady Melania Trump, did not offer the traditional tour of the White House. He'll be on his way to Mar-a-Lago, his Florida estate, uh, if not already uh, today, as this transition takes place. He did release a video uh, by way of the White House official YouTube account. It's about 20 minutes. We're going to play quick snippets of it. And I'm curious to know in real time, we'll follow our hashtag we'll keep an eye on the youtube chat what you make of what donald trump had to say on his way out of office here's a bit of it my fellow americans four years ago we launched a great national effort to rebuild our country to renew its spirit and to restore the allegiance of this government to its citizens in short we embarked on a mission to make america great again for all americans As I conclude my term as the 45th President of the United States, I stand before you truly proud of what we have achieved together. We did what we came here to do, and so much more. Uh, That was Donald Trump last night. We came here, uh, did what we came here to do, and so much more. Uh, He went on to talk about some of their accomplishments, but of course, he also addressed the elephant in the room at this point, and that was his role in that insurrection, that that rush, that attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Let's take another look at what he had to say via this video. All Americans were horrified by the assault on our Capitol. Political violence is an attack on everything we cherish as Americans. It can never be tolerated. Now more than ever, we must unify around our shared values and rise above the partisan rancor and forge our common destiny. So that's Donald Trump there. And you have to wonder about the advice that he's getting right now from his legal team. It's been suggested that it's been hammered home to him that he could be susceptible to charges uh, based on uh, some of the incitement that we witnessed undeniably from his Twitter account. Um, the, the repeating of many of his charges to his followers, uh, the themes that he put out, including around Mike Pence, undeniable. So this perhaps an early sign of, of how 
Donald Trump will attempt to walk back his role in his messaging by saying that we were all horrified. Now, don't forget on the 6th, as this was happening, he released a video that was since deleted by Twitter where he talked about the people uh, perpetrating the violence. He said, I love you. And he didn't spell it together with a straight line like that, but it was bad enough that they pulled him off social media. Finally, that the straw that broke the camel's back. So what legacy does Donald Trump want to leave? If you watch the entire video, like I did, you'll see that he lays out his case as having built the greatest economy in the history of the world. He talks about some of his gains. He talks about renegotiating or stepping out of bad deals as he interprets them, including the Paris Accord, which Joe Biden is expected to return to to sign up for again today he talked about the bad nafta deal and talks about great returns that america's seeing on that new usmca of course we'll call it nafta 2.0 but he also talked about a time of peace here it is i am especially proud to be the first president in decades who has started no new wars above all we have reasserted the sacred idea that in america the government answers to the people our guiding light our North Star, our unwavering conviction has been that we are here to serve the noble, everyday citizens of America. So the only president in decades to start no new wars. The minute that I heard that, the first thing I saw, I mean, the first thing I thought of was January 6th. That was the first thing I thought of. Right. Hundreds of people rushing the Capitol buildings, five people dead, uh, many other Capitol police officers injured. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence and senators and other lawmakers uh, shielded from potential violence by uh, people sworn to protect them. Uh, The attempted disruption of American democracy. I mean, that's one example from one day. And who will ever forget this? The photo op peaceful protesters tear gassed and pushed back violently you remember this this video courtesy of guardian news out of the uk so the american president could walk through leisurely and casually the park that had housed those peaceful protesters earlier to step in front of a church to hold up a bible you got to hear this audio i'll shut up for a second As sirens, as sirens sound in the background, is that your Bible? It's a Bible. And it's upside down. <laughs> and it's upside down. So that was so that's Donald Trump starting no new wars. Uh, the first president in decades. Also, I, I would suggest probably the first president in decades to uh, to tear gas and violently disperse innocent and peaceful protesters on American soil. But I digress. So that's how Donald Trump goes out. Uh, He goes out uh, certainly not on his own terms with regards to how he believes the election was carried out. He continues to question the validity. He doesn't question the validity of the election. He says it's stolen. He, He and he will continue to say the election was stolen and he will go out like a petulant child refusing to attend the inauguration, refusing to respect tradition, refusing to honor the very same American people. He says he's been so proud to serve. And today I joined the chorus saying good riddance 
and I welcome the return to a normal, healthy relationship between the United States and Canada, the United States and other international partners. Now, this doesn't mean everything's going to be great for Canada. In fact, some things are going to be made more difficult, including right here in Alberta. And that includes the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. We're going to be talking about that with uh, energy analyst Michaela McQuaid coming up in less than 10 minutes in about seven minutes from now. She's stepping out of a meeting in D.C. to talk to us for five minutes, which we really appreciate. The news is coming up between now and then. I want to remind you very quickly that the team at Friesen Brothers has been in the grocery game in the province of Alberta for more than 60 years. And they're super excited to be opening up their 15th store in their 15th community right here in the province in the next two months. And as a matter of fact, less than two months, just off the Anthony Hende, a beautiful new store going up off Rabbit Hill Road. Friesen Brothers has been proud to support Alberta producers, Alberta farmers. It's why they only feature Alberta beef, pork, chicken, and turkey, Alberta milled flour in their famous sourdough, and Alberta veg and produce when they can. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. The team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, very excited to host you. Anytime you want to pop in and see the 2021 Dodge Jeep lineup. 2021 is a huge year for Jeep, including the introduction of a seven-passenger Jeep Grand Cherokee. I'm driving that five-passenger Grand Cherokee right now. Absolutely love it. Bang for buck, Grand Cherokee owns the market. You know that. And the Grand Wagoneer is coming back as well. This is the luxury full-size SUV. Jeep is entering that market with a splash going toe-to-toe with all the other ones. You can see those at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Go see Scott and his team there. Sam, let's take a look at what's making news headlines this morning. Well, of course, we're just about an hour away from uh, what we expect will be the kickoff to the inauguration, Uh, the ceremony, of course. Every four years, we see it in the United States. This one, the transition of power. The Republicans... Back to the Democrats, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, President-elect Joe Biden will be taking the oath of office. We expect around 10 o'clock Mountain Time, noon Eastern, 17 executive actions expected from President-elect Joe Biden today, his first day in office, including the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. He will stop the Americans' withdrawal from the World Health Organization. He's going to launch a 100-day masking challenge. He's going to ask 300 million Americans to wear a mask every day for 100 days. He's going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. He's going to rescind the Trump administration's 1776 commission. And he's going to ask organizations and agencies to ensure racial equity. He's going to require non-citizens to be included in the census. And he says he's going to undo Donald Trump's expansion of immigration enforcement within the United States. That's a short list, and we'll continue to cover this in days to come. On the vaccine front, it's worth noting that Canadian provinces, including here in Alberta, are sounding the alarm after Pfizer has announced it will ship Canada only half of the vaccines originally planned for next month. It's retooling its production facility in Belgium. This means that Pfizer is now deferred, in other words, canceled all shipments to Canada for next week. Now, Canada was supposed to receive about 735,000 doses between Monday of this week and Valentine's Day. Now that we've already received 600,000. Well, that's not the case anymore, and provinces are scrambling. Ontario's Premier Doug Ford only shoots from the hip. It's why some people love him. And yesterday, 
This is entertaining. If it weren't such serious subject matter, I'd be crying. I was laughing so hard. I actually love Doug Ford for how he's handling this. He says if he was in charge, this is what he'd do to make sure everybody gets the vaccine. You know, it, it, it makes me very, very angry. And I'm not, I want to make something clear. I'm, I'm not angry at the prime minister, deputy prime minister. We've been working collaboratively. I, I'm just angry at the situation that other countries are getting it. And nothing is more important than, than getting these vaccines. And if I was in his shoes, I'm sure he is doing it, but I'd be on that phone call every single day. I'd be up that guy's yin-yang so far with a firecracker, he wouldn't know what hit him from Pfizer. I would, would not stop until we get these vaccines. Other countries, small countries, populations of 5 million, we're part of the G7, we're a major player in the world. So this isn't directed, I wanna emphasize this again, it isn't directed per se at the PM or, or at the deputy, because I, I think the world of them, we're working collaboratively together, but man, we gotta be on these guys like a blanket. I'd be outside that guy's house. Every time he moved, I'd be saying, where's our vaccines? Other people are getting them. The European Union's getting them. Why not Canada? That's my question to Pfizer. We need your support. We need it. There's, there's, there's a plant, a Pfizer plant, six hours in Kalamazoo, Michigan, with the Americans. My, my American friends, help us out. We need help once again, as we did with the PPE. You have a new president. No more excuses. We need your support. And we look forward to your support. And that's a, a direct message to President Biden. Help out your neighbor. You want us all to get along, you know, hunky-dory, kumbaya? Help us out. I'm asking you for help. I absolutely love it. There's nothing funny about the delay on vaccines. There's nothing funny about the shortage. And, and it's quite concerning, as a matter of fact, some of the suggested reasons why Canada might be behind everybody else in receiving these. We're digging into these stories you know, keep in mind, Canada has been a leader in trying to keep prescription drug prices down. Companies like Pfizer don't love that. Relatively speaking, Canada is a small purchaser. Four million orders out of the gates, for example. Other countries are ordering 60 million. Many reasons being suggested, but you got to love a guy like Doug Ford saying, I'd be so far up that Pfizer guy's yin yang with a firecracker. He wouldn't know what hit him. That's incredible. That's Premier Doug Ford out of Ontario. Let's turn our attention to the energy file. Uh, excited that our next guest has been able to clear five minutes for us on a very busy morning in Washington, D.C. That's where she lives and works as an energy analyst with Eurasia Group. Uh, it's a firm that specializes in assessing, advising on geopolitical risks to inform major businesses and investment decisions around the world. Michaela, welcome to Real Talk and thanks for making time for us today. Thanks so much. Happy to be with you. So we know the, the 17 uh, executive actions expected from President-elect Biden today, pretty much the minute that he takes the oath of office. One of those is the one that Canadians and especially Albertans have been keeping a keen eye on for probably two or three years now, which is what's going to happen with Keystone XL. This is the exact type of thing that you work on. So what are you observing? What are you expecting? It is. I, uh, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to most people that spend a lot of time watching the energy and climate space and have followed the campaign over the course of the last year uh, pretty closely. I think we're expecting Biden to make good on his promise for immediate action and chief among those um, priorities is on energy and climate, which obviously KXL is going to feature prominently and in terms of demonstrating a really early and strong signal to a base that cares deeply about climate change. 
a, a very clear signal from the White House that they're committed to those objectives um, in the face of, of four years and a legislative agenda that's going to be increasingly difficult uh, to get through with a, a really slim majority in the Senate. So you, I mean, you advise uh, governments, corporations on, on risks around investment. What sort of a message do you think uh, if President Biden cancels a project that, that's already you know, completed to a certain degree. Uh, a lot of pipes have been laid. A lot of, I mean, billions of dollars has been spent on this. Do you think that that would be a concern to him? I mean, does this send ripples through the international investment market? What does this do to energy, for example? I think it, it introduces a considerable amount of market uncertainty, to be sure. And I think that on KXL, it might be a little bit different because for the better part of a decade, this has been what my colleague refers to as a zombie pipeline, the pipeline that Obama couldn't kill and Trump couldn't build. So for the past 10 years, public support for the project has been weaning. And I think that consistent signals from the incoming administration have been that this was going to be the outcome for KXL. So I think to a certain degree, that's contained where I think that we're going to focus in terms of assessing market risk to future projects is what the administration does to posture on projects like line three and line five, which are both important to Alberta's economy, as well as the Dakota access pipeline, which has been increasingly controversial here in the U.S. as well. So I think when you look to those other projects, assessing the degree to which the, the federal government will rescind federal permits that it doesn't see as in the national interest. That's where we will be watching. So, you know, Michaela, that, you know, I mean, sort of the consensus opinion here in Alberta seems to be it's obviously not ideal. Uh, it's far from ideal if Keystone XL is canceled. But as long as we've got TMX and line three, we're fine. You People are listening from the other room, you know, steaming milk for their latte. And they just heard you say line three and now they've run back in the room to turn it up. Uh, let's talk about that. Absolutely. I think the above ground political risk for those projects remains considerable. And I think what you're going to see is the, the Biden administration distance itself as much as possible from those projects and defer to the will of the states, which have been largely the point of most uncertainty in terms of driving um, local and, and state level legal challenges against those projects that have been effective in delaying or at least obscuring the permitting processes for those projects. So now that KXL will be out of the way, so to speak, not to be crass, um, all eyes in terms of environmental activists will be focused on those projects and, and trying to um, force Biden into a place of being a little bit more activist and interventionist. But I think what we're going to be paying attention to is how Biden manages the expectations of two really important constituencies. One, on the environmental front, the climate activists, not only among their voter base, but among their their body in Congress and, and how much they want to see progress there. But also on the labor side, unions have been a key constituency for Biden and the Democrats and will continue to be. So balancing a group of people that doesn't want to see any projects and a group of people that need to see projects to get people back to work, especially in the wake of COVID-19, those are going to be the balancing acts that uh, Biden will be subjected to. So we know from indications, uh, Joe Biden's, uh, Jen Psaki's incoming press secretary has indicated that he intends to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord today. Uh, it's not the stroke of a pen. It'll take about a month, they say. Uh, but, but that's one of the things that he campaigned on. It's one of the things he's promised to do. When I ask you what you're expecting to see from 46 on climate and energy issues, I'll admit I'm somewhat unfair because I'm asking you to base it on campaign promises and platforms, which, which don't always manifest themselves in reality. But big picture, uh, uh, what's going to change in what you're telling your clients moving forward in dealing with this new administration? 
Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I think there's a lot of um, remit of the executive level here in the United States to re-regulate a lot of the environmental policy rollbacks that the Trump administration did over the course of the past four years. So that's going to be a starting point. The other really big difference between the Trump and Biden administrations is the degree to which the government is willing to inject stimulus dollars, especially for COVID-19 recovery, into green-related streams. And I think that between... Uh, before and after the Georgia elections, that's the biggest differential that we saw in terms of the injection into the economy and, and those relative green priorities. In terms of the Paris Agreement, I think that you can expect a lot of climate diplomacy from Biden, especially with, with limited prospects on the domestic front in terms of that legislative agenda. Biden's going to be looking to throw his weight around on the international stage and demonstrate to all of those important constituencies and to his treating partners abroad that the U.S. is back, so to speak, in terms of the climate game and looking to carve out not just an environmental policy path, but one that is rooted in an industrial policy and readying the economy to thrive and, and uh, beat out competitors, essentially, in, in the course of the energy transition. Michaela, we, we promised we'd keep you to five minutes. I know you've stepped out of a meeting with a client, which we greatly appreciate. Let, let me just ask you on ground level in closing, uh, a bit of a different inauguration today. To be sure, hundreds of thousands would be there were it not for this pandemic. A lot of factors at play, obviously, tightened security that has nothing to do with the pandemic and everything to do with a day that will live in infamy, January 6th of, of 2021. Uh, what are you observing? You live and work in D.C. How does it feel? this morning yeah to say that uh, the mood in dc is tense would be putting it lightly i think living within a mile of the white house is at once uh, feels like the safest and most dangerous place to be today but overall i think undercurrent in dc is um permeated with just a lot of optimism about the next four years and especially uh, in a country that's been really ravaged by covid19 turning the page and and hopefully uh, setting the course on a better path for public health outcomes Thanks so much for talking to us today. We appreciate it. Always. Thanks, Ryan. You bet. Michaela McQuaid is a a climate and energy analyst with Eurasia Group. Uh, They assess and advise on geopolitical risk. You heard to inform major business and investment decisions. She's worked in the energy sector in Alberta. She's worked for the government of Canada in climate and energy issues in past why don't we take a look at what Joe Biden had to say last night? This is uh, this feels almost to, to be quite frank with you, to be honest with you, it feels a little bit dated. Uh, and, and this was uh, j- just over 12 hours ago. Uh, President elect Biden uh, saying goodbye in a sense uh, to his home state of Delaware and somewhat of an emotional address. And of course, it was an emotional night last night as uh, uh, Kamala Harris uh, and her partner, Joe Biden and his partner uh, gathered together uh, to honor the Americans that have died or or fallen ill and recovered uh, as a result of COVID-19. But but here's what President-elect Joe Biden wanted to put in front of the American people last night. I am proud, 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 proud to be a son of Delaware. And I am even more proud to be standing here doing this from the major Bo Biden facility. Ladies and gentlemen, I only have one regret. He's not here because he should, we should be introducing him as president. But we have great opportunities. Delaware has taught us anything's possible. Anything's possible in this country. So God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you. 
So that was Joe Biden uh, late yesterday afternoon into the evening. Um, of course, Bo Biden, the, the eldest son of his who, who passed away uh, in a car accident and, and obviously is a huge um, you know, you, you've heard his name invoked many times on the campaign trail when when people talk about uh, some of the empathy or, the, or, or, you know, sort of the ground level relatability that Joe Biden demonstrates uh, as a politician. Uh, a lot of that stemming from some of the personal tragedy. It's not just that, but some of the personal tragedy that he's uh, endured in his life. Uh, a pretty meaningful moment there, uh, certainly last night as, as he prepares to take that oath of office. So there we have it. It's a big day. Uh, Sam, are you when, when it comes to, the, you know, the, a, a Canadian uh, paying keen attention to this inauguration? I, th- I think it's safe to suggest. I've noticed that Kaylin, for example, is one of our Real Talk uh, audience members. She, she watches live from Vancouver and she was wondering today, anybody else out there got two screens going this morning? Uh, we're in the exact same boat here. We are doing the show live from our Real Talk studio and on one of our studio monitors, of course, we're watching coverage of that inauguration as well as as Kamala Harris arrives on the platform we saw former president barack obama is there uh, saw texas uh senator republican senator ted cruz is there that surprised me does it surprise you a little bit why do you think uh, because like uh, cruz is still sticking with trump we talked about that a little bit yesterday like yeah. right to the bitter end he was one of the objectors in the senate um he's he's gone to the wall for trump and he planted his flag right at the 11th hour that said Trump is still my man. So I'm very surprised. Like Pence denounced the riots much stronger than Cruz did. And and Pence actually has a role to play because he's sort of the figurehead of the old administration in in the inauguration today. But it's, uh, you know, it, it was, yeah, I thought it was bizarre that Ted Cruz was there. Yeah. Um, by the way, thanks to Gene on our on our live uh, YouTube. This is amazing. You guys are amazing. Our, our our real talk live audience this morning, every morning blows our mind. But thanks to Gene for the fact check. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. Bo Biden passed away from illness. It was uh, it was Joe Biden's daughter. I think she was like 13. Wasn't and, she like and, thir- and his first wife and his first wife. Yeah. But his daughter was like 13 months older. So she was basically an infant, I think, when that when that accident happened. Um, thanks, for Gene. You're absolutely right on that. Uh, you know, uh, Sean says, yeah, you guys are up against the inauguration, but we've got dual screens going in our house as well. We're grateful to be on one of those screens and uh, and we're watching alongside everybody else today. Our coverage uh, today, um, talking to Michaela there about Keystone XL, uh, talking to Dr. Ted, who, who joined us out of the gates today. Dr. Widmer, uh, appreciate that former Bill Clinton speechwriter. We were thrilled he agreed to join us uh, on what this means for, for Canada-U.S. relations. And again, tomorrow we'll talk to lawyer Mark Warner about the economic implications of all this. But it's big. Uh, it's a big day. And uh, Fatima says uh, her, her speculation here is that Senator Cruz is, is probably there uh, to see that base that make America great, that MAGA base there to support him or maybe support him next. Uh, she says that, that, you know, that's kind of a kind of a scary thought. Uh, Scott says Cruz isn't sticking with Trump. He's making a political calculation that in Texas, if he doesn't identify with Trump, he won't get reelected. That was interesting commentary from Eric Cedillo yesterday, the attorney out of Dallas that joined us. Eric practices in, in Dallas and San Antonio, and he um, he's, he, he does a lot of work. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time talking to him. I kind of regretted it when I looked back on that interview yesterday. We spent a lot of time because he's an expert and he was able to comment on on the impeachment and, and the proceedings and what could Trump do or not do? What he, could he influence or not influence there? We talked about pardons, some of the anticipated pardons that were to come down and be announced. People were expecting a list of like 200 pardons. Um, 
but we didn't spend a lot of time talking about we, we, we touched on immigration policy. But but if I can put it casually and, and that does not mean that I take it lightly, but the kids in cages, you know, that, that was one of sort of the early uh, for critics of Donald Trump early in his presidency, uh, relatively early in his presidency. People would talk about the kids in cages and some of these kids that that had been separated from their parents and in some circumstances, tragic circumstances, looks like they may never be reunited because of poor bureaucracy or file keeping or whatever the case may be. But Eric Cedillo talked a bit about that. And he's done a lot of advocacy with Latin American um, uh, clients and agencies and organizations out of his home state of Texas. But I thought it was interesting yesterday when he talked about the, the you know, the, the potential fickle nature of Texas Republicans. Um, typically, you see Texas as a red state. Uh, you, you typically see Texas as a Republican state. But he talked about it potentially going blue. And he suggested yesterday that if Texas were to ever go blue, the Republicans could all but forget about ever getting the White House back. I thought that was an interesting remark that he made. Yeah, um, I don't know a whole ton about Texas politics. Um, we've seen, you know, I, I guess I'd said Beto O'Rourke as being kind of the bellwether in the last few years, suggesting that Texas kind of has it been. But I mean, Texas is also very, you know, Texas is similar to Alberta in in dozens of ways. But I think it's also one where there's this this very uh, key urban rural divide where you know you see in the urban centers especially places like dallas and and, and austin uh, austin especially has so many parallels to edmonton there's yeah such a big it really arts does community there there's such a big you know there's, there's a real startup focus there there's a real like the, it's it's a bit of a, a, a it's a little bit more of like a liberal bastion in the middle of this sea of red yeah i've even got my bumper sticker that says keep edmonton weird which nice. is just a straight up ripoff of Austin's marketing and Portland and Portland. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. Yeah. Who had it first Austin or Portland? No, I don't even know. That's a great question. That's a great some point. Points, points in order. If somebody can find that out for us. Yeah. Uh, I love this from Shalane. Who's watching us live. Good morning to the Ferguson household. She says we've got triple screens going on today. We've got real talk CNN and you, she's got a third screen with her Twitter going. Uh, she says I'm taking a Tylenol now for that screen headache that I lecture my kids about. Yeah, I know I'm letting uh, you you may have noticed I'm letting my eyes rest this morning. I took my glasses off to let my eyes rest. It's been like nothing but standing in front of screens, sitting in front of screens for, for the last 24 hours getting ready for this. Is Nevin set to rock and roll on this? He's not. Okay, doesn't matter. We're going to do a quick uh, mention here. want to remind you that we're grateful to have the support of the team at Kubi Energy. If you're thinking ahead to maybe some of the changes that you're looking to make some improvements around your place and you've heard that talk, you, you know, maybe you've seen a neighbor get that solar system installed those panels on their roof and you go gosh i wonder if that might be a fit for me the team at kubi energy is tesla certified and they only are you they're only using certified red seal electricians to do their installs in other words they're trustworthy i mean you want to go see their work in in the capital city here of alberta i mean check out what they've done at the edmonton convention center if you live outside of edmonton google it beautiful building amazing solar installation that's kubi energy and they want your business so much so that they'll do all the paperwork for you, including permits, even rebates available. Check them out at kubienergy.ca. And don't forget, every Monday we present Positive Reflections presented by Kubi Energy. Positive Reflections is your statements, your photos, your videos. What made you happy? What restored your faith in humanity? You can send those anytime through the week to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We're also grateful for the team at Local Waste. 
I was driving around town yesterday, running a couple of errands on my way home from the Real Talk studio, and I'm starting to see more and more of these bright green local waste bins pop up. And I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, but I have to wonder if some of these Edmonton entrepreneurs, these small businesses are real talkers that have reached out to localwaste.ca and taken their business over there away from the big international companies. Chris and Lauren want to hear from you. 780-242-9746. They love to talk trash. Why don't we take a look at some storm photos? This was absolutely wild last night. Have you had you even Sam, you're a smart guy. What was the what was the word? I wanted to give you credit for this, and I did not give you credit the other day because we hadn't yet determined if you were correct or not. But when I invoked jackalope, in other words, the marrying, the dovetailing of two different words into one, you identified uh, you were it. You referring to a portmanteau. A portmanteau, uh, which I, I, I typically consider myself to be, uh, you know, like a, a seven out of ten wordsmith. Like, you know, if the great orators are, are a ten and the people who stumble over their words are a one, mm-hmm. I'd say I'm like a seven. You achieved 10 status uh, when you came up with portmanteau, uh, which was really remarkable. So I so I wouldn't put it past you to know about a snow squall. Were you familiar with this weather phenomenon before it rolled across the province of Alberta last night? Uh, yes, because uh, they were common in Toronto when I lived there. So I'll, I'll say I was I was familiar with a snow squall simply because when I when I left Alberta, when I left the prairies and and went to Ontario for a bit, snow squall warnings would come up all the time in the winter and they were common there. So, uh, yeah, from from just personal experience of living in a city where we frequently had a snow squall warning, uh, I was uh, yeah, I was I was I was well aware of what was coming. OK, so, I mean, it, it was it was a window rattling, uh, foundation shaking kind of a storm. And, uh, and and basically so so we're keeping a keen eye on some of the social media activity activity last night um, while I was same as you uh, Moses we have a boxer he was super chill through the whole thing Monroe our black lab was 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 not chill uh, she was terrified she, she was she was she was not having a great time about this uh, so she was she was upstairs kind of hiding here's what you were saying on social media here here are some of the things that we were noticing Barry Fearnley's a, a good friend of this show um, I appreciated Barry posting this and I asked him exactly where this was he tweets at from the goat barn uh, Barry's one of these guys. He, he's just a common sense warrior, and I love hearing from him. So, so they're in Lake Isle. Uh, check out some of the, the check out their trampoline, Sam. In the next photo, like he said, it was blown a hundred yards away from where it was. A hundred yards, like a football field away from where it was. Uh, this is like halfway between Wabaman and Evansburg. For anybody in the area, check this out. A branch did that to the front windshield of the car. I mean, how wild is that? Uh, we're hoping that Nevin Demiliano is going to join us in just a second here uh, to talk about this, the snow squall and the storm. Let's take a look at some of the other posts that we saw. Uh, this from Deb, who said, bye bye. This, these are the ones that break my heart. Bye bye, beautiful spruce. Says, thank you for splitting in half and falling into the street and not our bedroom, which is a, which is a you know, hey, count your blessings, I guess. But that's got to be. How old is that? 50, 60 years, probably ish, approximately. I have I have giant spruce trees 
in my front yard. Um, my house was built in 49, and I assume that they're original to the house. I mean, yeah. they're they're three stories tall. So like 70. They, they dwarf all the buildings around them. Yeah, 70, 75 I, years old. I don't know what I would do if I lost one of my giant spruce trees. And this is what I was saying is last night I'm sitting there and I was, I was watching some of these big, big limbs off these elm trees just do the dance. I mean, and I'm, I'm just going, please don't snap. Please don't snap. Uh, we have a few other ones I wanted to get to. Let's take a look at some of the other photos. These are just, we were just following the Alberta storm hashtag. We're following Edmonton weather hashtag. Uh, here's what uh, some of the other photos looked like with regards to storm damage across the province. How about this from Julie Rohr, a good friend of the show. She says this was at her friend's house tonight. Look at that. A tree right through the window of the house. I mean, blowing out the window frame. That's pretty wild stuff. Um, I think we have a couple more here to take a look. This was funny from Kate Cousy down in Calgary. She says, here's webcam of Calgarians right now. Kate, that was very well played and nicely done. Um, so, yeah, I, I know that there, there's no doubt that that people sort of had had their night interrupted. Um, Nevin Demiliano is, uh, well, he's a storm chaser, which is, which is just about as cool as it gets. And we're grateful that he's been able to make time for us this morning. Uh, Nevin, uh, the, the, welcome to the show, first of all. Uh, these snow squalls, uh, not everybody's familiar with them, myself included. What's this all about? What makes it happen? How unusual or rare are they? Yeah, first of all, absolutely my pleasure to be here, Ryan. And uh, snow squalls are, I guess if you were in one, you'd probably describe it as a mini short-term blizzard. Uh, it's not a perfect technical comparison, but if you're caught in one, that's probably likely how you'd describe it. Okay, Intense it wind, very limited visibility, things like that. Yeah, and the and the wind was just furious last night. I mean, we, we've seen evidence of it. Full-size trampolines blown a football field away from, from, from where they stood. Uh, I, I suppose to a certain degree... You know, storms like these can be pretty dangerous. I know a lot of people that are chiming into the show right now are saying that they were actually a little bit fearful last night, as much as they might hate to admit it. They were wondering what might be going down. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, we we're mostly all at home. But but if you're caught out in the storm uh, traveling, I think that that's kind of the worst place to be. At. My, the risk for me is always thinking about those chain reactions. You ever seen those videos of like semis chain reaction uh, collisions? And snow squalls are, are kind of accustomed to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, Tracy says we were in the hot tub when we thought it had died down enough, but a huge gust came, took our towels over the fence and down the street. Uh, Tracy, uh, <laughs> that didn't leave you in a tough position. Um, Greg says we had branches scattered all around here, but luckily didn't lose any of our trees. Courtney said that in their neighborhood, they spent most of the summer taking down the old trees uh, that could be damaged in future. Nobody's planted anything new, though. Uh, Courtney says I really miss that canopy so nevin yourself i mean you know i want to talk about what you do and 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 i mean i i've uh following you at swift chaser on twitter uh just remarkable some of the scenarios that you get into and the the passion you have for weather for a guy like you last night you probably approach it or view it or even enjoy it a little bit differently than most people what was your evening like last night Yeah, uh, when I saw the forecast come out, I definitely kind of planned on, I mean, I didn't have much else to do anyway, but uh, I went outside and sat on a patio chair and and kind of let the wind just hit me and kind of make me feel like it's summer again in July and storm season. (laughs) Amazing. So this is, people, I I feel like every time I uh, talk to a storm chaser, we should offer that little caveat that, that reminds most people that they shouldn't drive into the eye of a storm or shouldn't be chasing tornadoes. Um, how do you do what you do? How do you ensure safety? And what drove you to this in the first place? Yeah, great questions. Um, I think there's a lot of science that goes into chasing and a lot of practice. 
and a lot of learning uh, before you're able to safely kind of do it. Uh, anyone can be a storm reporter. And, and I think all of us on the prairies have experienced severe weather. So it, from that perspective, it's, it's always great to report uh, these severe weather events because eventually we'll always be in one. All of us will be in one. Uh, but if we're going to, to try to find these kind of storms, we have to prepare by looking at weather models, using a lot of that meteorology and, and applying it. And then when we're on the storms, we, we likely already know which way they're going to be moving. And so we can truly chase the storms rather than be chased or hit by them because we we can't do a lot if we're within it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, Nevin, uh, for the, the thing I most want to do is drive people to your Twitter uh, to follow you at Swift Chaser. It's a remarkable follow and some of the stuff you put out there. I mean, we've benefited from it greatly from an education standpoint, as well as, quite frankly, from an entertainment standpoint. You have a, a documentary uh, 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 coming out. What a cool project. Uh, my understanding is it airs this Friday and next Friday on CBC. Before we thank you for your time, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, you betcha. So uh, we were humbled to, to be approached uh, for a project to kind of film Canada's uh, wildest weather. And uh, uh, the Prairie Storm Chaser team, that's a group of five of us, we were able to be part of this, this project where we were um, documenting these severe storms that we pursue every year across the prairies. I, I, I never thought that enough people really saw these storms. And uh, we just wanted to share um, these storms with everybody. We'd love to take everybody on a chase if we could and do it safely, but this is kind of the best way to do it. So we're really, really happy with how it turned out. And uh, I hope everyone can kind of join the chase with us. Either uh, this Friday is the rain episode or next Friday where you'll see a little bit more of the behind the scenes Prairie Storm Chasers in chase mode. Uh, that's uh, January uh, 29th. Okay, Nevin, when when the news cycle chills out a bit and when it's not inauguration day and, and when pipelines aren't being canceled and and when every when all hell's not breaking loose at the Alberta legislature and and in Ottawa and everybody's not trying to get vaccinated and, and things chill out a bit. Will you promise to come back and show us videos and show us photos and teach us a whole bunch of cool stuff? Oh, I, I'd love to. I'd even love to like chime in live from the field one day. Oh, we do that. well, let's just do that. Or maybe maybe Sam and I can take the show on the road and we'll join you somewhere. But yes, oh, let's yes, make please. it a that. I knew I knew you'd like that idea. Nevin, we'll connect again soon. But thanks for doing this on short notice. We wanted to check in and get a sense of what it was we were witnessing last night. So thank you. Thank you so much. And really cool with, with what you've done here with uh, Real Talk. Hey, thanks, Nevin. That's greatly appreciated. That's uh, Nevin Demiliano. You can follow him on Twitter at Swift Chaser. And then, as he mentioned, he's, he's kind of part of a network there uh, of, of five uh, remarkable individuals. And, and it's the aesthetic, too. It's how they present and celebrate cool weather. And, and oh, man, I mean, I, I just love this kind of stuff. I love figuring out what makes it happen, what the implications are, like what's causing it and what we need to know about it um that desire to learn never really does go away does it that's nevin demiliano in just a second we're going to meet two brothers uh with a remarkable story quite frankly uh what it is is a survival story and it's the story really of one brother saving another brother's life uh, we're going to meet jonathan and daniel ferguson in just a moment Right now, I wanted to remind you that the teams at Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park this month are celebrating Real Talk's audience and welcoming you to their six locations by offering a buy one, get one free offer when it comes to those six packs of Dilly Bars. I don't think they technically call them six packs. They're boxes of six, but they're six packs of Dilly Bars. Sometimes six is not enough. 
And so if you go to the locations in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, there's six of them, and you identify yourself as a real talker in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road, they're going to let you take an extra box of six just for being a part of what we're doing here. And a reminder, they've got dairy-free dilly bars, which is very cool, a new development. Just when you thought ice cream innovation had ended, Dairy Queen steps up. We're also grateful for the team at Westworld Computers. You know, Westworld can help you reinvent your setup. Now, whether it's, I don't know, a new iPhone, whether it's a new iPad you're looking for, or maybe it's a total overhaul of what you're doing with your business, they want your business and they're proud to be family owned. They're right now overstocked in trade-ins. So Macs, watches, phones. If you want to upgrade from your old one, you want to save hundreds of bucks and buy from a trusted source as opposed to some stranger on Kijiji, make sure you check out the inventory. It's updated daily at westworld.ca. Westworld Computers is a proud partner of Real Talk here at ryanjesperson.com. Are our brothers good to go here, Sam? All right. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Uh, For the next little bit, we're going to be meeting uh, we're going to meet three individuals two of them right now in christian zip at the top of the hour just uh, after uh this conversation christian will join us around 10 o'clock mountain time uh, jonathan ferguson is a calgary-based uh, photographer whose company vonder rush photography captures different events including you know events at golf courses he's an expert in lifestyle photography the guy's been all around the world a passion for travel he's visited almost 80 countries to date But everything was put on hold with a serious health challenge he's going to tell us all about. That's where his brother entered the mix. Daniel Ferguson is a filmmaker based out of Montreal. He works in the IMAX format. Maybe we can find some time to talk about that. You've probably seen his last two films, Jerusalem and Superpower Dogs. Well, he's a lifesaver, too. He saved the life of his brother. And it's a real pleasure to welcome Jonathan and Daniel Ferguson to the show. Guys, thanks for being here and welcome to Real Talk. Hey, Ryan, great to be here. Jonathan, your shirt, I mean, I think it's a play off the Beatles, but what does it say there? Liver and kidneys and heart and lungs and pancreas and intestines. There you go. You are like a walking billboard right now. You are literally a face for the argument for signing your donor card. Take it. Take us into your journey. This is I should note that I've known you, uh, I guess, for 10 or 12 years now. I knew you before you got sick. So this is something that, that all of us have been have been um, a journey that we've all been along with here. Uh, nobody more so than your brother. But where did this all begin? Yeah, so it began probably about 12, 13 years ago uh, when I started having digestive uh, uh, issues, just uh, really, really difficult digesting certain foods, thinking, what is this? I saw about uh, 12 different doctors and kept getting misdiagnosed. I was told everything from uh, drink more milk to you have cancer. And I was taking, I was doing so many different tests. um, And finally, uh, they 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 um, found that my gallbladder was filled with stones. So I had my gallbladder taken out. They told me this was going to be the end of my discomfort. Uh, it was not. And uh, then shortly after that, I was diagnosed with a rare liver disease called primary sclerosis and cholangitis, or PSC. And this is basically uh, scarring of the liver and narrowing of the bile ducts. And uh, so that was... I was diagnosed in 2010 um, and, and health kind of, it was, it's a slow, torturous disease of health constantly decreasing 
until it got uh, really, really bad a couple years ago. Uh, multiple uh, visits to the hospital with infections and uh, skin completely jaundiced, uh, losing a lot of weight, um, brain fog, um, so sensitive to, to uh, certain emissions, car emissions. I couldn't use my oven for a long time. Um, the forest fires really, really affected me as well. It was, it's just a, it's a horrible disease. So Daniel, you're, you're, you know, communicating with your brother, you're, you're seeing uh, this, this degradation in his quality of life and obviously in his health. Uh, what's that like as a, as a, as a, as a sibling uh, to be witnessing this most, most especially when there's no answers. I mean, it must've been agonizing for the entire family. Well, you said it, Ryan, it's totally agonizing. I mean, we knew that it was coming, you know, it's not a disease that has necessarily a, a cure for it. It really requires a transplant. And that was pretty clear for a long time. Uh, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I always felt that it would be me. I just didn't know when he would get on the list and what the circumstances would be. But uh, there was always an understanding between us that uh, I would step up when, when the time came. Um, I mean, it's one thing to say that years ago, but then to watch him slowly decline and, and, and there's this sort of uh, ominous inevitability about it and you want to react, but you just don't know uh, uh, what's the point to jump in here? When's appropriate? Um, is it really that dire? You know, so you go through all this and of course, you know, I have a family and, and uh, so there's a lot weighing on it, but uh, I knew in the back of my mind that this was a real possibility. So, Jonathan, you're, at what point do you get, I mean, your story is going to be familiar to some people. I have no doubt that some people are going to be watching this morning or they're going to see this. They're going to hear the podcast later and go, oh, my gosh, that's the guy that that put out the plea. They're going to recognize this photo. This is one of the photos that, that you put out there. You were looking for a donor. It was a story that really was, I mean, it was almost trending. It was grabbing attention across Canada. Uh, at what point did you have clear direction that you knew what you needed? Yeah, so uh, going back 10 years ago, my specialist, my incredible specialist said to me, um, in, in 10 years, you might need, might get a little emotional here, <laughs> you might need a, a, a transplant. <laughs> so for the, the following 10 years, I lived life like it was, it was my last 10 years. And uh, then I was put on the list. I, I entered end-stage liver disease uh, at the end, I, I think September 2019. And uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation to be in. Liver donors, organ donors in general, are, there's a shortage. There's uh, hundreds that die in Canada every year. So it's, it's, it's a matter of finding a match as well, the right size, uh, the, the, uh, the right blood type, of course. Um, and, and of course my brother was, was always a, uh, uh, top choice. You know, if you, if you need a new engine for your Toyota, you're going to want a Toyota part, right? Yeah. So, uh, it, he was always, he was always there. Of course he's in Montreal and he's working, he's committed to different projects. So I had to put the plea out. Uh, I couldn't put all my eggs in one basket. And, uh, and, and it was amazing the response that I got. And thank you, everyone out there. <coughs> and 
Yeah, go ahead. No, I don't want to. I, I I want to leave you time. This is you know. Let me let me say one of the one of the beautiful things about doing a show like this is we've got all the time in the world, and and we can relax. And if you ever want Daniel or myself to jump in, that's fine. But I I think that your uh, you know, the, the testimony that you provide today is indicative. This would be an, an incredibly emotional experience. Number one, uh, if I can say it, staring death in the face. Uh, and number two, understanding that your brother and people that love you and complete strangers are all considering going through that process. Now, Daniel, of course, you're going to tell us that that this was a no brainer for you. Of course, you're going to tell us that you were willing to do this. But I would imagine it's a little bit more complicated than that i would imagine that, that that there are thoughts that go through your mind that you have to reconcile things that you were obviously on your own journey throughout this yeah absolutely uh and uh we love you bro i mean that's that's the overwhelming sentiment here uh it's 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 emotional you know for all of us but it's not you know you say okay let it be me but it isn't that simple um, certainly I think the statistic is something like one in three potential donors gets rejected. You know, it isn't as simple as, yes, we have the same blood type. So I'm a Toyota part to use his analogy, but afterwards, then it has to be a matter of, uh, you know, the right volume and mass of the liver and the right positioning. And then more important than that is the right plumbing. So my bile ducts have to line up with his bile ducts. Um, and you know, so all this is going on and it's not just a simple matter of, uh, your blood type, and then you get the green light. I was um, involved in, you know, con contractually, you know, producing these two IMAX films at the same time, and uh, and I was sort of watching this and saying, at what point do I jump? And and there's a requirement to do what's called a workup, first of all. So I had to go to Edmonton uh, from uh, Montreal. I was working in in Boston at the time, but I had to go to uh, Edmonton, and I went finally in February uh, of 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 2020. This is early February, I guess, you know, so, so uh, before uh, COVID hit these shores and uh, I went through a CT scan and an MRI and a number of things. And I, and I had an interview with a, a psychologist, you know, to make sure that, that I'm an ideal candidate. And after those two days, I had really some of the best news of my life, which was, yes, I am a perfect candidate. You know, we have a single bile duct uh, uh, entrance and exit, and uh, I have the right kind of veins, and they can take this and, and move it over. And so, you know, I, I'm wearing, speak of t-shirts, but I'll just stand up and show you here. So I've got my liver on, right? Yeah. I'm representing the liver. Oh, there uh, you go. So, you know, they explained to me that, that this part here, which is the left side, the left lobe of the liver, um, I would always be a lefty, you know, so I would keep the left side of the liver and Jonathan would get the right side of the liver. They, they told me that they would take about um, two thirds. Uh, in the end, it, it ended up being about 67% uh, of my liver. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, you know, you sort of make peace with this, but then it becomes a reality. So now I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm a candidate, um, but when is it gonna be? And they sort of presented a bunch of dates and I thought, okay, now I have to make this official. You know, I've got, I'm sort of what's called uh, a key man on these movies, right? These are sort of multi-million dollar movies. They have insurance clauses and I've got to find a replacement director and, you know, so the financial implications and, and all this. And, and at the time I was supposed to film among other things, the Boston marathon and, and, you know, it was a multi-camera shoot and a lot of money was going in and I, I kind of wanted to have my cake and eat it too. I'll be honest. You know, I, I wanted to try and keep these jobs 
um, and save my brother's life. But obviously the latter was more important for me. And we settled on a date in May. Uh, that's kind of what ended up happening is, is uh, they offered me a couple of dates and some of them were just too soon. I had to go through the steps. Luckily, my business partners and my employers were really, really understanding. And they said, you know, your brother's health comes first, go and do what needs to be done. And I was so relieved uh, that I didn't get sued or, you know, there wasn't uh, uh, those issues to deal with. And so then it was a matter of, um, you know, really accepting this as reality and looking at the potential risks, you know, how long was the recovery process going to be? When am I going to be able to work these 14, 16 hour days and bounce around on boats and jump into helicopters and, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And, and, and the doctors were pretty realistic and said, you know, that's not going to be likely uh, for a little while. You know, you could do a desk job, you could do Skype calls after a couple months, but um, you know, we're not going to lie to you. This is a major operation and, uh, and, you know, you lose your gallbladder, obviously not a big deal, but it's a huge incision, you know, running from the sternum all the way to the belly button and then to the, the back. And uh, so there, well, we can show, let me interrupt. We can, we can show some my, photos here. Let me, yeah, let me just, uh, I guess a bit of a warning to <laughs> folks that are maybe eating breakfast while they're watching this, but, but, uh, but this is, I mean, this, this is no joke. This is no joke, boys. I mean, take it. I can show you, I can show you it live right now if you'd like to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see how it's, how it's, how is it healing up? Is this, let's, uh, yeah, let's see it, Jonathan. Let's see. All right. I was going (laughs) to save this till the end, but, uh, okay. Wow. Looking good, man. I'm, I'm waiting for the endorsement from Mercedes. <laughs> or give peace a chance. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, and that you is... can see it was it's an, an it was an enormous liver that uh, that I had before. Uh, the uh, the surgeon who's been doing it for 45 years said that it was one of the biggest he'd ever seen, and uh, uh, I, I can't believe I have the photo of my old liver. Well, we yeah, um, we want to show this. This is, I mean, I, I'm not a medical doctor, so obviously I can't provide any commentary on this. But so, so tell us what we're seeing here. <laughs> that is a, a very diseased and scarred liver. That's my old liver. I joke around and say uh, when I show that photo, I say it's amazing that they let me take that photo. Obviously, I was very much out and <laughs> taken by the surgeon. Um, so, so going back on the story a little bit before my liver was was taken out. Uh, so, Daniel, you said uh, May was was the date we had. It was March. So it was the end of March that we were given. This is uh, just before COVID hit, and and you know we're excited. He's a match, and it's it's happening. And you know, tears of joy, of course. Uh, and then COVID hit. Uh, and uh, and all elective surgeries were canceled. So this is an elect. This counts as an elective surgery, or or, or I guess, or all, at least all, it was bumped. It was surgeries. bumped on the yeah. surgical calendar. Okay, that's, Ryan, that's what I was told because I'm electing to give my liver. So for Jonathan, you could argue it's not at all elective. He needs it to survive. Um, and so you know, I mean, we're we're both right in a sense is that my preferred date was May, but it was it was told to me that he might not survive until May. So then I, you know, COVID hit, all movies were canceled. Um, things changed dramatically. And so we called back and said, what's your soonest available date? And they gave us March 30th. Uh, and so, right. you know, I, I booked my ticket, I was all set and, and we got the family sorted. And then just a few days before that, we did get this call saying, you are considered elective surgery. This is not going to happen for a little while. 
And that was so disappointing because, you know, we were both so prepared yeah. uh, and committed at that point, you, you, you know, and I just said, how can this be? And that was the most frustrating thing. And that's where I really sort of raged and said, like, this is this is a total injustice. You know, my brother could die. Uh, this is not elective. You know, this is a matter of life and death. Yeah, when I think elective surgeries, I think like hair plugs and boob jobs. I, I don't think about uh, liver transplants as elective surgeries. I would imagine, John, for you, uh, like your brother's saying, uh, with with the fact that and, and, and your messaging within your friend circles and on Facebook and to the people that were supporting you was was always very realistic. Uh, and you were aware of uh, the time sensitivities around this. How did you manage the mental and emotional challenges that came with the already enormous physical fight that you were facing? Jeez, yeah, this this was uh, this is difficult to to try to stay positive throughout everything. I I really just uh, I thought about good times that I've had in my life. Hmm. Thought about travels that I've had. I went through old photos, Jess, and uh, it uh, just just to relive all these memories and to think to to go to to really simplify things and and to to concentrate on the amazing friends that I have and family. Um, and at this point, I've got extreme brain fog, and uh, it, almost like like a dementia. Um, where I, I'm unable to concentrate, I can't read, uh, the itchiness at this point, I'm basically like scratching my skin off. It's, it's so poor. The, the, my energy levels are so low. I'm, I'm, I'm losing so much weight. I look like a skeleton. My skin is completely yellow. Um, and uh, so they had to, uh, so Daniel's no longer able to be a donor. Uh, and, and so they, they basically have to do uh, a cadaver, a cadaver liver, which is somebody who's deceased, uh, whose liver is healthy. Or uh, I, I, uh, I, I was very fortunate that uh, a friend, a local friend stepped forward and he started doing the testing and he was a match. So Daniel was out of the picture now. COVID's hit and, uh, and, and it's either uh, going to be a, a cadaver liver. Or, or my uh, uh, this local friend. You know, our, our audience. Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Just to clarify, I mean, the reason that I was taken off the list is because I am a Quebec resident. And at the time, uh, you know, Quebec was very much the, the epicenter of the pandemic in Canada. And ah. so I was told after the program reopened, which now we're talking about probably we're into May at this point, I was told under no certain circumstances would I be allowed to donate? It would have to be someone from within the province. They couldn't even justify, you know, there was a talk about like who pays. And, and, and so I had to kind of accept it. And I remember Jonathan calling me and saying, you know, sorry, man, it's, it looks like it's not going to be you. And, and I was, I was devastated, you know, that, I mean, we're all feeling powerless in the face of COVID as it is. And here's, you know, get this one opportunity to save the life of someone so dear to you. Um, and to have that taken away from you after you really committed, uh, it, it was, it was, we used this word before, but it was torturous for me as well. But I had to accept it and, and say, whatever's best for my brother, that's what's going to happen. We got to get him the operation as soon as possible. If that means it's not going to be me and it's going to be another donor uh, who's down the road, fine. Uh, let's just go for that. 
Uh, I want to note to our audience that's watching live. Uh, it'll be out of context for those that, that catch the podcast later. But as we have been speaking, uh, Joseph R. Biden Jr. has taken the oath of office and is uh, now officially the 46th president of the United States. Uh, Donald Trump is now no longer the president of the United States, uh, in my mind, if I might infuse some editorial commentary, giving us two reasons to celebrate. John's got his liver and is alive and everything's back to relative normalcy uh, at the White House. So moving forward, and you should see what our audience is saying right now. I mean, this is amazing. Uh, number one, I, I appreciate I appreciate this from uh, who, who was it? This was uh, uh, I just saw the comment. Someone said he's he's got a Toyota motor under the hood and he's got a Mercedes uh, logo on his across his chest. That is autoimmunity. If I've ever seen it, that was a great comment. <laughs> But uh, that was from Lauren, who's watching in this morning. Uh, but but people are talking about I mean, people are talking about right now saying this is why I signed my donor card or I'm going to sign my card today. Uh, Mark says, you know, so many lives are going to be saved. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, just a lot of people are talking about, you know, how important this is and how this is a call to action for them or a reminder of the importance of these types of conversations. Uh, the two of you essentially now are pushed into a position of advocacy. I mean, your both of your lives and your relationship, your sibling relationship now. Uh, first of all, before I go any further, am I safe to assume it's never been stronger? I mean, what does this do to a brother's bond? Absolutely. We've we've talked more since. It would have been nice to have got a hair transplant at the same time. <laughs> I could have could have used some of his locks there, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, certainly, I think stronger than it's ever been, and and we're we're talking, and our, we have a, a very small family, uh, and there's been some health issues, and uh, I'm sure many can relate out there that uh, health issues always bring the family together. And, and Daniel, I mean, a you know, literally, I mean, a piece of you uh, walks around with your brother every single day and keeps him alive. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. Even as those words escape my mouth, I don't know how I would process that mentally. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's another level. Yeah. They, I mean, they say that you take on aspects of the other's, uh, appetites and personality, even I'm curious to see whether, you know, he's going to be obsessed with spicy foods, uh, sooner or something like that. It's, Is that actually so a real thing? That's actually true. They actually it say is, that? It what? Is. You know, I met someone when I was in the, um, I was in the recovery room. I was in hospital for six days afterwards uh, in, in, in Edmonton. Uh, shout out to the amazing, amazing team of magicians, doctors, nurses, surgeons, everyone at the uh, University of Alberta, um, uh, you know, family. Uh, there was a, a fellow in the bed, you know, sort of beside me or sharing rooms and he had had a double kidney transplant and Never before he had any uh, allergies to, to medication, and all of a sudden, because his donor was allergic to penicillin, he became allergic to penicillin. So that really hit me. Um, and and you know, Jonathan's asked me all kinds of questions about you know uh, just just certain things about uh, you know because the liver, you realize how central it is in terms of you know dictating the rhythms of our of our life, not just digestion, but you know, you talked about air quality and all these things. There's no question that. For me, the greatest reward of this is to watch, you know, my brother transform from essentially looking like a, a walking corpse uh, to, to, you know, a, a closer to a picture of health. And, and it's ongoing. It's, it's certainly a bit longer in terms of the recovery than I had anticipated. But uh, for anyone out there who is considering becoming a donor, I mean, I cannot say strongly enough how this is the most 
powerful, moving, and meaningful thing you can do. I mean, how often do we get a chance to save someone's life? Uh, and so for me, I feel like it's a real privilege and, and it has made things quite real for me. You know, it, it, it brings to the forefront the essentials of life. Um, and we're all, you know, going through this, this pandemic and we're all pushed to the extreme um, and we're made to consider what's important in life. But this has really brought that in sharp focus uh, for me. And I cannot recommend it enough to people who are, who are thinking about that, making that, that kind of a gift. You know, I and I just, you know, I my position on this is pretty simple. Um, I, I understand that some people have have uh, religious beliefs or other beliefs that would preclude them from participating in, in the in the donation process. But I mean, so many people on our text line are saying uh, things like on our chat line saying things like, you know, it's like money. You can't take it with you. Uh, you know, really, there's no reason not to donate. Um, I've had friends of mine. Uh, unfortunately, one of my best friends in the world, uh, you know, passed away and, and, and was able to impact seven different people uh, with donations from. Um, uh, you know, cornea and, and lungs. And it just, I mean, it's, it really is. It's, it doesn't make the loss of a person any less uh, tragic or, or, or sad, but it certainly uh, infuses some hope into these scenarios. You know, people are commenting on, on, on that photo we showed of your liver, John, uh, <laughs> some random guy, we call him says, I'm just amazed that, that John had room for any other organs in him. Uh, Ken says, that's a boulder, not a liver. Um, but what about this? Uh, comments like this one from Jess, who says, you know, I'd be curious to know about provinces that have these opt-out programs. Um, Nova Scotia is obviously introducing an opt-out donor program. You know, very simply, it means that instead of signing a card to opt in, you've got to sign something to opt out. In other words, it's assumed that you'd be a donor unless you said you didn't want to be. I'm going to imagine that both of you would be supportive of this. Jonathan, what's your position on it? Oh, 100%. There's Canada's uh, a little bit behind in this. Uh, I think the UK, Spain, many other European countries already have the opt-out program. Uh, it's incredible that Nova Scotia has it, and uh, hopefully the rest of Canada follows suit very soon. Yeah, Daniel, that's uh, obviously something I think that, that a lot of people would like to see uh, leadership on from, from provinces, from from the federal government. You're wearing your shirt today. Uh, you're a filmmaker. You're a storyteller. What does your future look like and, and how does this maybe play into it? Any future projects? I might wait a little bit before making the liver donation IMAX movie. <laughs> uh, but uh you, you know, as I mentioned, Ryan, it's it's just really a reminder of what's absolutely vital in terms of telling stories. You know, what do you really want to communicate? Uh, I feel like I've given I've been given this sort of front seat view into, you know, the the the, the fragility of of our own mortality. You know, and it was that close to you in terms of my brother, and you know, I think we're all. Uh, we all feel somewhat powerless to forces that are greater than ourselves. And here's a quick, here's a chance for all of us, you know, whether it's in, in, in signing a donor card uh, and agreeing to donate your organs uh, or whether it's, you know, pushing for legislation um, that, that adopts a culture of, uh, of, of, of this, you know, of consent of, of assumed consent, which I obviously very much support. And I think that we're ready as a country to adopt that culture and to promote that culture. Um, so as far as how it influences the stories that I tell, I hope that it just makes me, um, you know, just much more honest and vital in my dealings and, and in what I choose to embark on. 
um, that's really the reminder for me is that there is no time to waste. You know, I see how much of a gift life is when you're, when you're, when you're confronted with that. Um, and you spend this time in the hospital with people who are getting uh, heart transplants or lung transplants. Yeah. You know, it absolutely humbles you. And then you watch the heroism of people say it, it's become a cliche, uh, you know, frontline workers and nurses and doctors and so forth. But I mean, these people, most of them, it's a calling for them. And whether it's in Alberta or whether it's as I've come back to Quebec and I've been cared for here, I have been so amazed by that everyday heroism, especially in the face of the pandemic. Um, so I, I kind of leave this with... Um, I don't know, a somewhat inflated view of, 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 of humanity and our ability to help each other out. And I, I love that. I love that. And honestly, that's what we were aiming for today. Today is a day for for a lot of people of, of great optimism, of renewal, um, of a fresh start uh, in many different contexts. And it's why we wanted to talk to you. People can check out love and survive dot com. Jonathan, but just to wrap the story up with a bow. You know, we, we've heard how there wasn't a match and, 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 and Daniel being in Quebec uh, had presented an issue and, and, and all of these hurdles. What ultimately paved the way for this to happen? What ultimately happened that allows you to be here with us today showing off your scars, which are incredible, uh, and say so much cooler than any tattoo I've ever seen in my life and will forever be. But what ultimately was was the tipping point that allowed you to be here with us today? Well, uh, yeah, there was there was uh, the the journey included a uh, a call for a cadaver liver that uh, my fiance and I had to to go to uh, Edmonton and basically have our goodbyes outside of the hospital, uh, and and uh, it proved that the uh, uh, the liver there that the cadaver liver actually didn't uh, wasn't a match, uh, it wasn't healthy enough, so I had to come home and just just keeping keeping alive and and thinking about all the people that are much worse off than me that uh, that kept me going and then daniel uh, got a call and it was pretty much on my 40th birthday that i found out that he was going to be my donor my savior my superhero and uh and we met in in edmonton two days before the surgery um and it was it was it was absolutely surreal and uh yeah, saved my life. Amazing. And I'm, 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 in the, I'm doing incredibly. Uh, I'm in recovery right now, and it's uh, every month I, I, I get a little bit better. Well, and, and I hope just, I hope you don't mind me pointing out that actually we were going to have this conversation a week ago, um, but you were back in hospital, and and so I know that. I mean, there's a reality. Look at that. Um, but uh, but your journey continues, doesn't it? And uh, and uh, you know, while while most of us may look at a photo like that, see you looking so healthy today and say, you know, it's great to see you out of the woods. I would imagine that you'll acknowledge there's still, um, you know, some journey ahead, but uh, just an incredible opportunity to to continue to see many more years as opposed to the 10 that you had convinced yourself might be your last. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, everybody who has a transplant goes through a different journey and having the disease for so long, uh, my body really needs to adjust and uh, the, the, the progress has been incredible so far. And, and I look forward to every day. Absolutely. Unbelievable story. Uh, fellas, uh, brothers, the Ferguson boys, uh, so grateful that you took the time to talk to us today. Jonathan and Daniel, uh, again, if anybody wants to follow along with your journey and learn more, they can check out loveandsurvive.com. Thank you for making time to talk to us today. I, I couldn't be more happy to be reporting this story. 
Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for doing it. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Make sure you check out uh, as as well. uh, Daniel's films. Uh, I love it. Jerusalem and superpower dogs. The two most recent ones uh, that he's put out in the IMAX format. And of course, Jonathan, a a very talented photographer with Von der Rush photography. As a matter of fact, his his photography work is how I first met him. we're going to talk to Christian Chip and Zip in just a second. Uh, want to remind you, we're talking here about health and wellness. What are you doing to impact yours in a positive direction? What about the air that you breathe? At cleanairclub.ca, you can sign up and take the guesswork and, well, sometimes the forgetfulness, that factor, out of your furnace filter replacement. You go down to your furnace. This is a one-time deal. You take a look at the numbers on the side of that filter. It's the cardboard thing that pulls out, easily identifiable. You go on the website, cleanairclub.ca, you tell them what size you need, and then that's it. They're going to drop off furnace filter replacements at your front door, along with a little gift, by the way. They love to support local. You're going to save money, and along the way, your family can breathe easier. All you need to do is pull out a furnace filter and look at it. You'll never forget to replace it on time again. Clean Air Club wants you to breathe easy, so make sure you check them out today. You can link to their website under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's where you can find Grand Dog Essentials as well. We're thrilled to bring them on as a Real Talk Builder for 2021, mostly because I can look you right in the eyes and tell you that we've been feeding our dogs with Grand Dog's quality raw food for years, way before this partnership started. Our dogs have never looked healthier. They've never felt better. And we have some health concerns to consider. The high quality raw food has been a game changer for us. You can follow Grand Dog on Facebook and Instagram at Grand Dog Essentials if you have questions or if you'd like to place an order, you can find them at granddog.ca. They deliver to your home. And if you use the discount code REALTALK on their website, they're going to give you 10% off your first time order. That's Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. Well, we want to tell another story. We want to put this in front of you on a very special morning. It's a morning where many are feeling optimism. Uh, This is a story familiar to many Albertans, uh, to many Canadians. Christian Zip was fighting for his life literally uh, years ago out of nowhere. As a matter of fact, after a dinner, he shared with the love of his life, and then things started to go sideways. Zip, we are thrilled to welcome you here to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us on this Wednesday. Oh, uh, I always make time for you, Ryan. Come on now. <laughs> can you can you take us back to can you take us back to that evening? Um, everything in your life appears to be great, right? You're you're, you're feeling for the most part healthy. You've just had dinner, yeah. and, and then things start to change. Yeah, it, honestly, it just kind of felt like the flu. I mean, that's why what's happening right now like seems so familiar, especially when it started up uh, last March. But for me, uh, you just had like flu-like symptoms for about 36 hours or so. I felt a little bit sick. It progressively got worse and worse. My breathing was shallow. Uh, I was not keeping anything down. Then I decided to go to the emergency room. And within like hours, I was intubated. And then after that, I basically was, you know, like a coma for six weeks medically. I was up, I was in and out, but at that point, that's when things got really bad. So, I mean, that night, I guess that early Monday morning, I mean, I, I almost died at that point. Yeah. Before that, before that night uh, in 2016, how much did you know about meningitis? I mean, I would imagine you'd heard of it, but what did you know about it? Yeah, I, I I just don't think like there's a high level of knowledge. I mean, I, I'd kind of known someone that I was working 
uh, like with at a different store when I was working retail kind of thing, uh, who was a young man who, who did die from that. Um, so that was more of a concern for the people that were working around him. But that was probably the closest I had come to knowing someone. And I really only knew that person in a peripheral way. So what do you know to this point, uh, Zip? I mean, we're going to talk about your journey and, and on, on, on the health fronts, uh, you have been fighting and, and to a certain degree continue to fight a number of battles. Um, yeah. but, but what do you know about, about why, if I can put it this way, why the universe chose you? I mean, what, what do we even know about this? I mean, what happened? Yeah, it's true, Ryan. I did win uh, a yeah. horrible lottery. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was really terrible. No, I mean, it's so random. So that's why, like, in the times that we're living in right now, um, that kind of idea of a virus that is so easily, um, like, easily able to take you over, uh, I completely understand. And especially with the rapid rate at which it actually works on you. So when we talk about COVID, uh, I think people probably have a greater understanding of kind of airborne viruses now than they ever have before. That's for sure. So for us, we kind of had to learn hard and fast uh, when that happened. So when it did happen, it's like, how did I contract it? Did I contract it through things that were my wife, Trina, was asked was like needle use or, you know, did he have another partner or, you know, was he doing anything that was like a dangerous lifestyle? And there was like none of that. So, I mean, ultimately, the fortunate thing was that nobody else contracted it, which is amazing, uh, considering how much contact you have with other people and how you aren't aware that you have it. And then the other part of it, too, was that um, we had no clue where it was from or who it was from. So it could have been somebody sneezing in an elevator to, you know, uh, touching a, a railing somewhere. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm like, I look at all this stuff that we're doing right now. And, and it's very easy for me to accept because I'm like, oh, yeah, that would have been a great idea. If I had done that at the time. Well, but, but like, like how would you have ever known? But, but of course, of course your experience would, would shape your perspective on health measures through a pandemic. I mean, obviously, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Wow. And you have, and the amount of sympathy you have for those people who are working in ICU, because, you know, when you spend over two months there and your family sees them every day and they basically like bring you back to life, like it's a monumental task. Um, so even that, oh, there's me. See, there's me. So yeah, when I was what, awake at that time? Zip, when was this? Was this, how, how far into your journey was this? Was this relatively close to the beginning of when everything was happening? Yeah, I would say I'm going to guess because, again, my memory is a little bit hazy because at that point I'm still on a lot of heavy drugs, Ryan. So I'm going to say that's at least four to six weeks in. Okay. So you, you wind up. Um, I mean, the, the health implications of this, a bilateral amputee, um, yeah. skin below graft the below the knee, uh, skin grafts on your arms and your legs and yes. kidney failure, which is an entirely I mean, that's that's an entirely different conversation on its own. Right. Uh, you yeah. were the recipient of a transplant. Was it was it 2018? Can you remind me? Yeah, it was, uh, it would be early in that year. So what happened is that it took about three years, essentially, and it happened almost three years to the date of getting sick. It was like within a month. Um, so you, you know, when that kidney failure was happening, that was one of the big things as to why my body was reacting so strongly as to why I couldn't keep anything down as I felt, you know, horribly sick. It was basically your body telling you, 
that something has gone wrong internally. And then my blood went septic. And then that's why, you know, I look like a burn victim, but, but I didn't suffer any burns. It was just because my blood was, you know, basically went like poisonous in order to fight the virus. So for me, when I look at the idea of the kidney failure, I mean, it had a few different things. Immediately I was on dialysis, right? Um, so I did that for about three years until, you know, you get to a point where you're healthy enough, they put you on a list. And then at that point, they kind of give you a little bit of warning as to say like, hey, now you're at the top of the list kind of thing. So it's gonna come very soon. And then essentially when you get that call, they always tell you, they're like, you have to drop everything and you'll probably be asked to come to the hospital that evening. Um, and yeah, within a 24 to 36 hour period of getting that call, um, I was under the knife. Zip, what's it like to be on? I mean, you've been on dialysis for three years at this point. Um, to be on dialysis, that I would imagine can be taxing, uh, can be exhausting. Uh, and, and then to be on this list where really you don't know at, at any given time. I mean, is, is your transplant going to be in a year or two years or is it going to be tomorrow? I mean, mentally, yeah. what's that journey like? Uh, well, you know, I mean, honestly, the dialysis is just taxing mentally and that you you just you kind of feel like it's time wasted at a certain point. But that's really just your brain working against you. Right. It just means that, like, you know, it's keeping you alive. So you just kind of have to fight that. So for me, that was all I tried to do is always try to put myself into a positive frame of mind. And three years, to be honest with you, is really not that bad. Like I thought. At a minimum, I thought it would be at least five years before I would even get to that operation. So I feel like I was ahead of the curve and very fortunate in so many different ways. So this is living donors. uh, My understanding is with regards to your particular story, living donors were not an option, which which meant that that you had to wait uh, essentially for some. It sounds crude, but you had to wait for somebody to pass away. You had to wait for a match, right? Yeah. That that's yeah. that's got to be heavy. Oh, I mean, it is. Like, I mean, you're overwhelmed with emotion in the first place because you feel like, you know, I'm I'm so fortunate at this point now that this is going to hopefully change my life if everything works out. And so far, like being almost two years in now, uh, I do feel like you know it's everything goes well, and I have a lot of contact with those doctors to make sure that everything's going well. But you know, that idea of having to like understand that someone else has to die in order for you to continue to have a better life is, is an incredible gift. So, you know, when I think about that family who I've never met, uh, but I sent a letter to, when I think about what they have to deal with, uh, I'm always kind of humbled by the gift that I've been given. So I never really kind of look at it as like this was joy it's like that kind of bittersweet idea of like this is good for me but at the same time i understand why this has to happen and that it's you know connected to tragedy how has your personal experience uh it it might seem like a, a an obvious question but i don't ever want to take it for granted how has your experience changed or impacted your view of organ donation well i mean i was already like someone that would saw that as a positive thing, but you know, when it touches you directly, I mean, then it's, it's clearly even more so in the forefront. And then when I, I didn't really understand until I started looking up, you know, the statistics of how many people, um, you know, look at it as a viable option, uh, how many people actually sign up for it. 
and particularly within Canada. And I was a little bit surprised by the numbers. I would have thought just because you live in that bubble of like, okay, well, you and other people that are like-minded are going to feel that way. Uh, a lot of other people don't. And I understand, and, and you got to respect that choice of whether or not you want to. But I think there becomes a certain point where, you know, for sure, the Humboldt Broncos uh, bus crash was an incredible tragedy. But a story like that really helped, I think, kind of motivate people to start to think about it in a different way than they maybe had before. And I'm not saying I was like a recipient of that kind of like domino effect, but I thought that at least that was something that got people talking about it because it was hard to ignore uh, a situation like that. And your heart went out to all those people and their families. What was it like to learn to walk again? Oh man, I thought it was going to be magical to be honest with you, Ryan. I was like, I've dreamed of this for months. (laughs) So they're like, they make sockets and they're like, they're perfectly formed. They put lasers on my stumps. I'm like, this is going to feel amazing. I'm like, it'll be just like before. And then I did it and I was like, this is not good. Hmm. <laughs> this is not This is not easy. Like, this is like I'm walking like a child. So you really have to wrap your brain around the fact that you're like, um, it's you're starting all over again. So it's like baby stepping, right? Like I'm in a harness. I got people around me. Uh, I'm walking on bars. 10 feet is good. Um, you know, and, from, and when you go through that process of like having to get stronger and stronger, at least you have that carrot in front of you. You know, the most humbling thing was trying to walk upstairs. I was like, this is insane. I've made it up four, up and down four stairs today and I'm bawling like a baby because it's like, it's a huge step for me. But then to think of like, how am I going to get up my stairs to like go to bed every night? Like wrapping your head around that sometimes is the real difficulty. So it is a mental challenge, but you know, I'm fortunate that I'm, I think I'm resilient, but I mean, I see so many other people around me that were going through similar things that um, I'm constantly, you know, motivated by what they do. So, you know, I, I, I had to keep pushing forward, right? And I still try to. Yeah, you, you think you're resilient. Hey, Zip, you, you, you think you're resilient, do you? Yes, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I mean, your story is, you know, you, you, you had plastic surgery on your lip. Um, you, you had yeah. uh, 10, they 10. Took a ch- they took a chunk out of my bottom lip put it in my top lip Ryan. really otherwise i look like jonah hex right yeah wow. if anybody knows comic book stuff they'd be like jonah hex yeah, yeah. but it wasn't terrible i could have lived with it but it's just you know i'm moderately prettier now Ryan. i think i think you're a beautiful man zip so you've you've had you. you've had tendons rerouted in both of your hands i mean i think the reason the reason why i'm mentioning this is you know you're so you're a bilateral amputee. You've had skin grafts, as you described, very similar to, to injuries like a burn. Um, you had t- tendons rerouted in your hands. You had plastic surgery on your lip. I mean, it's like the the oh, this okay. was a total assault on your Let's body. Forget that, right? Yeah, it was like <laughs> tell, tell us what yeah, we're seeing. Like this was not just a kidney transplant. This was not just you losing your legs below the knees. This, yeah. this was a total assault on your body. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what happened is that my body, that's when my blood went septic is because they were basically trying to save, it's like your body goes into that uh, shock mode and tries to save your extremities. So it's really just trying to save your torso. So I looked blackened. Uh, I lost my right thumb. I have super limited movement in my right hand and my left hand. I've got like the grip strength, I'd say of like a seven year old, but I'm working on it. I was like a four year old a while ago. 
So I'm, I'm moving on up, but I like, I'll never be able to close my, my right fist or my left fist completely. And my right hand has like super limited movement. I'm like, I'm like waving. Yeah. That's about it. But you're so, alive. Like, oh yeah, dude. Yeah. That's totally, and I'm working on all that stuff continually. Like I still go to, uh, you know, my therapist at the Glen Rose hospital, which is a fantastic resource that this province and the city has. It's incredible. You know, sometimes I just think when I need when I need to, like, find encouragement, I go to Zip's support group on Facebook um, and, and I just read some of the comments. I mean, your students are are just your biggest fans. Um, you, I should mention you're back teaching at, at Holy Trinity High School. You're beloved by your <laughs> students and the work that you do. Um, but your wife, Trina, has has been with you through all of this in an amazing way, providing amazing support, the relationship, I would imagine. We just talked to two brothers who were involved. One is yeah. a donor, one is a recipient. Um, what did this do to, to, to your relationship with Trina? Well, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, the incredible thing is, is that, uh, you know, you have no idea what's going on around you when you're sick like I was, but you feel that support, right? And to know that someone is like, you know, sitting next to you every day and like worrying about you endlessly and, you know, does everything they can to take care of you. And, you know, once you leave the hospital to kind of have that like continued support of having to like re reroute your life, basically. Um, it's, it's something I think that like in a lot of ways, like deeply bonds you and in other ways too, it, it can be difficult, but I think, it would, you know, any kind of relationship has challenges, but I feel like something like this has been something that, you know, with the support of each other that we've really been able to, to kind of get past it. And there's also, there's such a, like, uh, a, like a, a shockwave effect, a ripple effect of everything that happens to somebody in a situation like this. So, um, you know, there are things that we constantly deal with still. You know, like you just mentioned that Facebook thing. I'm like, when I look at that thing still, you know, I even peeled through it last night. I'm just going back to the beginning to get that photo of, uh, of me being sick. And I'm like, it's, it's hard for me to look at that stuff, not just because of myself, but seeing what other people felt about me. So knowing what she was going through, my wife, Trina, uh, that it just, it breaks my heart, but it also like connects you eternally forever. It's beautiful. Um, I remember personally, uh, I remember the very first posts from Trina. I, I, I remember posts on social media that were saying, we don't know what's going on. Uh, we're in the hospital. We don't know what's going on. He's, he's intubated. He's in a coma. We don't know yeah. all, all the way through. And I'm getting chills right now actually talking about it. And so to even be talking to you today about this and about your survival story as, as opposed to, to a feature in memoriam, is pretty remarkable and i have to imagine i mean our, our audience right now like i'm just just at random let me read some you know lauren says that these guests are so inspirational the, the experiences the positive attitudes uh, will be a help to many uh you know sharon says what an amazing spirit samira says this guy i can't imagine how he was able to physically and mentally survive this let me put this in front of you sandra with a serious and important comment she says i can't Im she says i can't imagine the ptsd that that maybe oh. Christian and Trina have gone through. Is that part oh. of this? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, cause it's like, um, when you talk to other people that have been in situations like this, you kind of see, especially when it's really severe and when it becomes moderately public, but I, I don't mind being that way. Um, 
that you you do kind of like look at it as like people will see you and they'll kind of project that like this is amazing and that's always a really positive thing but there are all those other things that you you don't necessarily want to have to constantly deal with in public and talk to people about that you deal with privately so you know i've gone through therapy i continue to like at this point i'm almost kind of wrapping that up but i needed that to kind of you know process a lot of stuff and it's the same thing for trina too you know where it's like it's it's something that we constantly will have to like work through for the rest of our lives so i i really deeply admire all those people that i see on like instagram or facebook who are who are you know in places where i dream of being too right but it, there's also that other part of it too where i understand like what they've had to go through and how tough that is and it also gives me a greater understanding for anybody that has to go through these things whether it's cancer whether it's you know uh, anything else that they've had to deal with something severe with all the people that are having to deal with loved ones that are have passed away because of covid like it really gives you a deeper understanding of that because it hits so close to home. But to say that, you know, I handled it perfectly, I don't think I could ever say that, that's for sure. But I think that, you know, everybody does the best that they can do. And anybody that says they're like, I'd never be able to deal with it. I'm like, you, most of the time you find a way, right? Like anybody else, you just, you find a way to, to get through it. Yeah. It's a remarkable story, Zip. Um, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, I, I know you're just getting started. I, I can't even the work that you do in the creative arts, uh, what you do to empower young students on, on the drama stage. I mean, your presentation. I should even I mean, I, we got to give a shout out to your radio show on CJSR on 88.5 <laughs> in Edmonton. Uh, you know, people that want to watch move that, that want to tune into moving radio to hear your hot takes on on Canadian and independent cinema. I mean, I know that's been a big area of passion for you. You're a creative a guy that inspires a ton of people. And I'm really grateful that you've been here today. When When's the next time that somebody can tune in and hear moving radio on CJSR? Uh, I guess it would be not this Friday, but next Friday. You know, I'm online. You can find me. I'm <laughs> yeah. talking to lovely people like like Susie Maloney. He's a great writer. And, and you know, and one of your favorites, which will be on your top 10 list at the end of the year, Ryan, is Psycho Gorman. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're going to you're going to love it, buddy. You can count on me to check it out. Uh, Zip, it's an honor to have you here, man. I love you. You know that. And I'm so proud of you. And uh, I'm grateful for this conversation. You've inspired a bunch of people. You can go back and watch the YouTube broadcast of this later and read what people have to say about your story. Thanks for this. Uh, that's that's very kind of them. I, I thank them. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm just trying to do what uh, what I have to do. And I know that they are probably dealing with a ton of stuff, too. So, I, you know, I really sympathize with it, but I appreciate all the love. It's it's uh, it's incredible. You know, we can all give it to each other a little bit more. Right. Amazing. Sign your donor cards, everybody. That's Christian Zip. Yeah. Zip, thanks for this, my man. Have a wonderful rest of your week. You can follow him. Uh, if you want to let Christian know how much you appreciate the conversation that we just had here on Real Talk, you can hit him up on Twitter at Moving radio yeah talk about moving is right what a last hour that we've had we acknowledge that it's been a busy day and we know that your attention is being pulled from different directions we appreciate if you watched us live this morning it's inauguration day the united states has a new president a new vice president a new administration we talked about it earlier today with uh, dr ted widmeyer what does that mean for uh canadian american relations what does he expect to see a change in tone in the white house he's a former speechwriter 
writer for Bill Clinton. And then we talked to Michaela McQuaid about energy policy. What does it mean for Keystone XL likely to be killed later today? We'll confirm that. And we'll talk about that tomorrow when we check in with Mark Warner. He's a trade lawyer that practices out of Toronto and New York City. A new administration, a new day, a new reality. And some of our content today has focused on that as well. We're grateful that you've joined us. We know that many of you may be hearing this or watching this later in the day. We don't blame you for paying attention to what was going on in D.C. And we're grateful for everyone that joined us live, too. The team at Alta Moving and Storage wants to remind you that if 2021 includes a move, they can help you take the stress out of it. They're locally owned and operated, which means that they're right here to offer assistance, expertise, and the service that you require, including those pod-style containers. It's the new way of moving. No longer are the big trucks showing up. you got a couple hours to get it loaded. It's stressful. You're worried about grandma's china set or that beautiful upright piano. Uh-uh. The pod-style containers, they drop them off. You fill them on a pace that works for you. If you need a hand with it, they've got the movers. And of course, long-term and short-term storage solutions. Check out altastorage.ca. That's Alta Moving and Storage, a proud partner of the team here at Real Talk. Looking ahead to Thursday morning on the show, as mentioned, we're going to be talking about trade between our, uh, of course, Canadian uh, companies. What does the policy look like with our elected officials, our most important trading partner, the United States of America? We're going to circle back on coal. We're going to keep digging into that pun totally intended. We'll take a look at what the Alberta government argued in court yesterday. It's significant. And panels on homelessness. We're not trying to solve every problem in the world, but we're trying to have real talk about them. That starts again at 8.30 Mountain Time. We'll talk to you then.